We can clap for the announcements, right? Come on. We're a clapping church. Hey, I'd, uh, I'd like to open us today with a scripture, uh, really a scripture that is defining our entire January. This is from Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That's some good news, amen? And welcome home, everyone. So glad you're here. So happy to see you in person today. A special welcome, though, to everyone joining us online. I know the world is crazy and weird right now, and there are folks that are a bit apprehensive to darken the door of a building. And so welcome home, everyone online, wherever camera is on me right now. So glad you're here. I simultaneously envy you for staying home um, on the couch in your pajamas drinking coffee right now. But I just want you to know that you're missing out in a way uh, because something special is happening as God's people gather this morning. Amen at the church. Amen. Especially here in this beautiful historic spot in the heart of La Crescenta. But regardless of where you are today in person or online, uh, I'm, I'm just so glad you decided to join us. If you're kind of new and you don't know who I am, my name is David. I'm your lead pastor here. I, uh, during community time, I was asked if I have a motorcycle and, um, I feel like it's prophetic, right? I feel like that's the next step for me. I'm just really just trying to step into my greater Don Carlson um, with, his, uh, with his, his beautiful leather vest. But um, hey, I'm just really grateful to be sharing today. Uh, last week was a treat as we started this new conversation about new year, new you. And we asked this question of, so, so what will you say no to? What will you not do in this new year to be able to step into a life of rest and peace that you were made for? And I had so many incredible conversations this past week as people were processing like, holy cow, I, I really need to step away from this so I can step into the better way of following Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, to come to Jesus and let him carry your burdens. And so anyway, as we're, as we're starting today, we're talking about rest because we need it. This practice of rest, we're talking about it because Jesus said to do it and we need it because we are busy. We are stressed. I was talking to a friend this past week and he had said that in this season, he described it really as a loss of confidence. There was a loss of confidence, like with all the interruptions of the past year, the past two years, he's kind of lost sight of who he is. He's lost sight of who he was in the process. And, and you know, some of the busyness we face, some of the stress that we live, it happens to us, and we know that. Stress comes our way, uh, whether it's from sickness or finances or, or car trouble or family drama, life can happen to us. And it does, and it has. But I think what we realized last week is we asked that question of what won't we do in 2022, what we realized is that a whole lot of our busyness and a whole lot of our stress is elective. So much of the stress we face is optional. The burdens that we willingly pick up, the things we willingly participate in that don't bring peace to our life, they don't bring rest to our souls, but rather they bring distractions and disappointments. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing them, right? 
It just becomes habit. It becomes routine. Seriously, I told you last week, as I was thinking of what I wouldn't do in 2022, one of the things was that I needed to, to find rest by stopping on social media. And so I went in Sunday, uninstalled the apps on my phone, and it felt good. It felt good. But check this out. Monday morning, I show up to the office, and I'm walking down the hallway to a meeting. And what do I do? I get my phone out, and I start swiping. And I look down and I'm like, the app's not even there anymore. It's not even there, but I still was so pre-programmed. Pre-programmed to swipe. I was so pre-programmed. I couldn't just exist in a moment. I, I, I had to welcome the distraction of a device. My, it's like my mind craved the one thing that also produced the greatest anxiety. But it's hard. But it's hard. Life is full, whether you pick it up or you can't let go of it, it's there. Still, we learned last week that there is a better way, that there's a better way available to us. And for Christians, this really is the only way that God wants to live. And we see it again one more time in Matthew 11. I'm going to read it. Actually, let's all read it together. It'll be on the screen. Then Jesus said, come on, here we go. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And that's January. That's what this is all about. That even in the midst of the crazy of this world, Jesus says, come to me and I will show you a better way. I will show you how to find rest. Get away with me, another translation says, and you'll recover your life. Let me teach you how to live free and light. This is the way to trade stress for rest in 2022. And we're, uh, what I mentioned last week is we're going to be breaking this down over the whole month of January, talking about this over the next four weeks, about what it looks like for us to take on the yoke of Jesus, to pick up his way and to follow him in this life. With a dream, really, that come February, we'd all be living a life of greater intention, greater focus, and less stress with more rest. So all that said, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 today with a little bit of 1 Peter chapter 2, if you've got the ribbons in your Bibles. Um, and if you're taking notes, I like to call this message, So Who Are You Really? So who are you really as we take this first step into the better way of Jesus by identifying our true identity? they were looking at identity. So who are you really? And I want to start this pursuit of rest talking about identity because there is nothing more important to us, nothing closer to us than our identity, and that's because our identity is us. Identity is the foundation for all we are. And without a doubt, it's also the greatest source of rest in our lives, but also the greatest cause of stress. And so the question remains, who are you really? Do you know? 
For most of my life, I think I determined or I answered this question by defining myself almost exclusively by what I did. Who am I really? It's what I did. I think when I was young, I liked to paint, and so then I was the artist. And then I started playing tennis, and I kind of self-defined myself as an athlete. Not, not a good one, Pastor Jeff. I was not a good one, but, but it's still how I saw myself and how others saw me, because it's what I did the most. But then I started to play music, and I feel like this is where I really found my thing. I started with piano, and then drums, and guitar, and I started songwriting, and I joined a band. And for almost 20 years, this love and this practice of music defined me. It's who I was. It was my identity and what I gave my life to the most. I found my reason in being a musician. But then, but then something happened. Something happened after chasing the dream for more than two decades, my, my foundation started to crack when a few big stresses came onto my shoulders. First, the band that I was in broke up because one of the guys got married. And, and, um, and then the second big stress that came my way was my brother passed away and it just shook my life. And then the third was that I was just super broke trying to chase this dream. And so next thing I know, I impulsively, reacting to the stress, I impulsively sell all my stuff and decide to go back to school. And, and I want you to picture that this is me for a second, okay? Look at this guy, right? Look at that, I know. Peak 2004 or whatever, but you can clear that. Um, I had been living the rock and roll dream lifestyle of late nights with no set schedule. I was a free spirit for a really long time. And now I sell all my stuff. I, I go back to school at 25 years old and I move into the dorms of a private Christian university with a whole lot of rules. I mean, there was a curfew. And even though I, I knew I was doing the right thing, it was an adjustment. It was quite the adjustment, but I'll never forget this one defining moment. I was like first week of school, I had this class in the basement of, um, of this building. It was a multicultural communication class. And I was excited because I wanted to learn how to communicate better. And so I go into the class, like first week of school, I go and I sit down, I grab my spot at the desk and this kid walks up to me. Now keep in mind, he was like seven years younger than me. And so this kid walks up to me and I'm dressed like an adult because I was an adult. This kid walks up and he's like, so, so who are you? There's a question, right? So who are you? I said, well, hey, I'm, I'm David. You know, good to meet you. He said, no, no, sorry. He's like, so, so who are you really? Are you our new professor? <laughs> I said, no, man, I'm just an old student. Give me a break. You know, like I was on a journey. I'm just trying to find myself. But that question, so who are you? It shook me because for the first time in a long time, beyond the obvious, I didn't have an answer for him. Who are you really? Y'all, I didn't know. Just like my friend I spoke to this past week, I felt lost in my own story because everything I did, 
that I self-defined, it was gone. I was stripped of everything I believed myself to be. You know, I chased this dream for, for 20 years to the end of the road and all I found was a dead end. I invested everything into this identity built on what I did. And now what I did was over. And I had no idea who I really was. It just left me in this fog of my own insecurity, my own worry, my own anxiety. This is what we so often do. This is what we so often do. We allow what we do to determine who we are, to give us value and worth and identity. And it makes sense because doing stuff is good. God created us as human beings to be active in the world, to go and bring order from the chaos of creation. We were created to do things. Doing is good. But what happens, friends, what happens when what we do inevitably ends? Because it will. What we do, no matter its tenure, is temporary. So what then? Let's say you're you're in school and you love to learn. I know a, friend, a couple of people who just love to learn and you chase learning down with all, with all you got from high school into college, into grad school. You write your dissertation to get your PhD. Well, listen, eventually you're gonna graduate. So then who are you? Or let's say you're a parent and your greatest dream in life is to have kids and it defines you. But then, but then your kids, they get older. They do. I'm experiencing it now. They get older. And what happens when, when, when your kids move out or they get married or they have kids of your own? Who are you when your kids don't need you? What about your career? Here in LA, this is the thing. Oh my goodness. You climb up that, that ladder as high as you can go. You hit the peak of success, thousands of people working under your leadership. This is the dream. What happens when you retire? You might be 75 and, and one of the greatest thinkers or business leaders in history, but who are you when the work is done? Who are you really? Are you tracking with me today? No matter how great you are, or all consuming something is in your life, one day, eventually, everything you do that, that temporarily defines you will eventually end. The only thing in that moment when all is taken away that will remain is your identity. All that remains when the work is done is you. Under the layers of striving and doing and achieving and acquiring, peel it all back and there it is. There, there, there you are. There you really are. So who are you really when the work is done? And, and, and maybe this is an odd question, especially as a follow-up here, but who are you really? As an odd question, as a follow-up, it's like, so, so how can you know who you are? Because as a 25-year-old me sitting in a classroom, man, I would have done just about anything to be told how to find out who I really was. As I was floundering through that first sea of uncertainty and disappointment, I would have given anything to trade stress for rest. And I know I'm not alone in this. In fact, this past week I was reading an article that said that post-retirement, there is a surge of more than 40% in the depression rate for adults. After you retire, 
40% of adults increase in depression and mental health. Right, right. And think about, I heard the same thing about professional athletes, that, that um, addiction, post-retirement from professional sports, the addiction and the depression rates skyrocket in these people because they reach the absolute pinnacle of success being defined by what they do, but when they can't do it anymore, who are they? And they have no idea. They have no idea. And so listen, if there's one thing I need you to carry with you today, let it be this. If you're taking notes, write this down. You will never find the transcendent peace and the lasting rest you long for until you know who you are beyond your busyness. Who, until you know who you are beyond your work. Rest flows from identity, not activity. And so who are you really? How can you know? And even more, who gets to decide who you are? Is it you? Is it your feelings? Is it your desires, your family, your coworkers? Who gets to speak that over you? Who has the authority to divine your identity and give you rest? Well, that's where we're hanging out today from our scripture found in Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles, I hope you got there. And a little bit of support from 1 Peter 2. It'll be on the screen. But as we read it, here's what I need you to focus on. I need you to focus on the you were statements and the you are statements. This is identity language. You were, not you did, and you are, not you do. You were and you are. This is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Once you were, how about that? Right out the gate. Once you were dead, that's who you were because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, verse 3. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, who we were. But our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But, verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Jump down to verse eight. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are, there it is, the identity statement, for we are, for you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. First Peter 2. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his marvelous, wonderful Light, and this is it, the last part in verse 10. Once, it says, you had no identity. How about that? Once, you had no identity, but now you are God's people. Once, you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Ephesians 2, you are citizens along with all God's holy people, most importantly, you are members of what? 
God's family. And I know that was a lot of Bible, but let's peel back some of the layers of life here. So in response to our scriptures, who are you really? Well, if you are a Christian, the scripture says that if you have received the grace of God when you believe, then you are identity. You are alive in Christ. You are alive. Once you were dead because of your sin, but that was temporary because God gave you a better identity. Once you were lost before, but now you are found. Once you were a slave to yourself, but now you are free. Verse 10, the best thing, I love this. Once you were broken, but now you are God's masterpiece. You are new. You are chosen. You are saved. You are royalty. You are God's very own possession. Once you had no identity, but now you are God's people, no longer wandering or strangers in exile through this life. No, now you are God's family. You, friends, are God's family. It's who you are, really. It's who you are, really, when everything else ends. When everything else fades, this is all that will remain. You are a son or daughter in the family of God at the core of who you are. This is you. This is us. And believe it or not, the best part, verse 8, is that you had nothing to do with it. How crazy is that? You had nothing to do with it, so you can't take credit for anything. You can't internalize this identity as a result of anything you did or anything you achieved or accomplished, no amount of doing, no amount of striving, no amount of success or working could ever have made you family with God. No family with God. Oh, this was a gift from God made you who you are now. God remade you who you are and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Like we heard Tracy say just a moment ago um, from Romans, that there is nothing that can separate you from God and the love that he has for you. He calls you friend. He calls you family. He calls you his masterpiece. Whether you're a 25-year-old student living in the dorms, whether you're an empty nester with grown kids, a high school basketball player that didn't make the college team, or a corporate executive planning retirement, God says you are enough. God says you are enough. There are no evictions from his family based on your performance. There is no divorce from his house based on what you can do. No, you are his masterpiece of mercy and love and compassion and kindness. And friends, it's here in this reality that we can actually find and touch rest. It's in God's work for us, his definition of us and the identity he has given us this firm foundation for who we are really that's capable of handling all the stress all the burdens all the expectations because we're not the one carrying it jesus has come to me 
and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will carry the weight. And, and this is the good news that we find in the gospel. It is the gift of grace that gives us value and meaning and purpose for who we are really. Independent of productivity or success or busyness or fame, the gift of grace, the gift of grace says that you are God's masterpiece. It's who you are. It's who you are. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes for us that have been in the, around the church for a while, like we know this stuff and so it kind of becomes white noise. But isn't this amazing? Everybody just take a deep breath knowing who you are and whose you are. That there is nothing you can do to win his approval and nothing you can do to remove yourself from his love. This is who you are. And you know you've done some dumb stuff in your life. I know I have. You know you've chased lesser things. Some of you are there even now. By your very nature, you were subject to God's anger. You made yourself an enemy of God in your life. It's true. But even in our temporary, God was working for our eternal identity. Even in our temporary failures, God was working for our eternal identity to remake you, to remake me into who we were always created to be. His masterpiece. His masterpiece. But, okay, now that I'm speaking to a room full of masterpieces, take that in. I need you to hear me when I say that just because God says you are enough doesn't mean you were made to hang on a wall. And it doesn't mean you were made to sit idly by on a shelf, out of sight, waiting for Jesus to come back. No, you were made for so much more. And this is what makes our God-given identity so amazing. One more time in verse 10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We don't do the good things to become his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece so we can do good things. And this is where we often get it backwards. You know, where the world says we are what we do, God is here saying that we do to reveal who we really are. We do the good things to show the good work that was done in us. To reveal who our father is and the family values. We have been adopted into God's family forever to show the world what our father is like. And there's nothing that can ever change that. If you are with Jesus, then you're not lost anymore. Let me say that one more time. If you are with Jesus, then you're not lost anymore trying to find yourself. You've already been found. You're not living as a slave to your own expectations anymore. You have already been set free. You are not expected to constantly produce or strive to win God's approval. It can't happen. He already loves you to death. Literally loves you to death. And so, friends, find rest today in the knowing and understanding that you are enough because God said so. You are enough because God said you are loved. You are free. 
You are significant and you are mine. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. You matter, not because of what you do, but because of what God did for you. Hmm. You are his masterpiece. It's who you are. Now, Ephesians 2, go and act like it. Go and live in response. Go and do the good things that he planned for you to do. Go and show the world what he is really like at work, at home, with friends and family. Go and do the good things. And again, what's so amazing about this gospel, this way of Jesus, free from striving, that always leads to rest and peace. What's so incredible is that the good things God made you to do are going to look different than the good things God made me to do. It's not one size fits all. We're not a bunch of clones in weird jumpsuits as Christians, right? And so as I settle into my identity as one of God's dearly loved kids, how I live this out, uh, it, how I live this out based on my passions and my gifts, it, it's, it's unique. It's who I am in response to who God says I am, whether it's through music or playing tennis, not, not often anymore, or painting, whatever, it's unique to me. But how Rebecca, how she settles into her God-given identity as a child of God is going to look different. Rick, how you settle into your God-given identity as a child of God, that's going to look different. It's going to look different than me, and praise the Lord for that. It's the same good work. It's the same good work, but the life we build on this God-given purpose and identity, that is up to us. It's the same good work, but the identity remains. So as we close today, I just want to ask you one more time. So who are you really? Who are you really? And what good work are you doing? Not to define you, but to reveal who God made you to be. Who are you really? And what good work are you doing? This is the first step to finding a life of rest in this new year as we follow Jesus in his way. And so let us be a church that chooses identity before activity. Let us be a church, a people that remember we are so much more than what we do because God calls us his prize of creation. God calls us his masterpiece. And finally, let us be a family of faith that reflects who God saved us to be with the good work he planned for us long ago. Because this is who we are. This is who we are and this is who you are really. This is who you are, really. And I want to leave it there today. So we've got a lot more to cover over the next three weeks. But let's just leave it there. And as we close, we're not going to sing as we close today. I just want to pray as we dismiss. And I want to pray two kind of two different tracks of prayer that both lead to the same direction of identity. And the first is for those that have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, for those still kind of swimming in the, the deep sea of their own confusion or, 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 or disconnection or still feel lost. So for you, it's my prayer that you would just, Matthew 11, that you would just choose to come to Jesus today, maybe for the first time, and that you would hear him say, you matter, you're mine, 
and to have him give you peace that fills your heart for the first time. That is, that is the first step. And I know that this is a leap of faith for everyone. It was a leap of faith for me, and it's a leap of faith for everyone who follows Jesus in this room, but it's never, I just need you to know you'll never find the rest your soul longs for until you come to Jesus and you take on his way. You'll never find the rest, you'll never find the peace that you long for, and not just for heaven later, but for earth today. For your life today, God wants to bring you to a, a sustainable pace of rest and peace. But the only way that's going to happen is if you get to Jesus. So that's the first track of prayer today. The second is that, that just a prayer for the followers in the room, that, that God would open your eyes to your true identity, that you would stop being distracted by what the world might say is success or what the world might say defines you, but instead that you would just open your eyes again to your true identity. So I want to pray focus over the followers, and I want to pray peace over those who have yet to take that first step. And so if you would just bow your heads with me. And no matter where you are on the side of the line of faith today, let's just all pray together. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of the blind today, that you would draw the lost to you so they might understand what it means to be found. It's never fun to admit that you're lost. But God, when you're found, it's so worth it. And so God, I ask that you would just meet us all in this place today. That you would open our eyes to your presence. God, that you would draw us once again to yourself as we hear those words come to me. All who are weary, all who are busy, all who are stressed, so we might be able to find rest. And so if that is in you in this room, I, I, I make no assumptions of, of where anyone's at in faith. But if that is you today, I just, it, it, the first step to cross this line is to simply say, God, I believe that you're real. I believe that you're good, that you love me and you lead to peace. Jesus, I, I hand you my burdens today and I take on your way. And that's not the entirety of a life of faith. It's just the first step. It's just saying, God, I believe you're real, that you're good, you love me, and that you always lead to peace. God, take my life. I'm sick of living in the dark. Take my life. I'm sick of living, wandering for myself. I'm sick of feeling the pressures of success. I'm sick of feeling like I need to produce to have value. I'm sick of feeling like, like, I'm, like I'm an empty shell of who I once was because I don't do what I once did. God, I'm sick of feeling so conditional on what I do. I want to be who you say I am. And this is just the first step of faith. And so if that is you, I just encourage you, take that step. God will meet you in it. God will carry your burdens. And God will lead you from here to peace. And for everyone else in the room, I just pray a special blessing of identity over you once more, that you are enough to God. That doesn't mean you should be sitting around waiting for the end to come, but instead, God, let, let that inspire us. Let that inspire the, the community here to go and do the good work. God, you say that we're enough. You say that we are your masterpiece. So God, it's time for us to start living with confidence that we might go and be your people, not to achieve, not to succeed, 
but to simply reveal who you are to the world. And it's there, God, that we find true rest. So God, we are so grateful for you. We love you and we thank you for this amazing day in the paradise of the world, La Crescenta, California. God, I'm so grateful to be with this church family today. I'm so grateful to be here with you and to hear from you and to experience you again in your presence. God, I ask that you would just open our eyes again and again and again to who we are, really. So we might go and do the good things that we were made to do long ago. So Jesus, again, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Have an awesome Sunday. I'll see you next week, okay? Yeah? yeah. All right. Love you.